Lord, we ask that you would indeed give us ears to hear. And as we hear, let us hear from your perspective, from your intention, rather than our own circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. While it is true that all of us as Christians have the opportunity to uh, develop disciplines of daily devotion in our life, one of the things that I am enormously grateful for is how often the obligation of my call to prepare a sermon leads me deeper into the Word of God in which God reveals to me some of the ways that I've looked at His Word and misunderstood. This this week has been a growing week in my heart and in my soul as I've struggled with the text. A part of that struggle is and you can probably see it in the candles. For those of you who know about the Advent candles, this rose candle is the symbol of what idea? You say love because today is Love Sunday, but it's actually the joy candle. And this year we're kind of taking things out of order, which I'm really grateful for because I love to have Cantata Sunday, that is Joy Sunday, be one filled with more music. Because I find music brings joy to my heart and to my soul. So we're doing Love Sunday on the Sunday when the texts don't necessarily communicate love. Well, that would be an exaggeration, of course, but don't directly do that. Pastor Joe in the class uh, coming between services over in the fellowship hall is going to talk about love and agape and he's going to talk about joy and the word agape is nowhere in the text today and so how do I understand love in the midst of these texts do I wrench it in do I do I find a way as a as a pastor as an interpreter to to twist it in I hate the feeling of when I'm doing that. And early in the week, that's what I felt I was doing until God gave me an aha, a wonderful, beautiful aha. You see, our text today in the gospel is is a bit of a continuation from last week when when we hear about and learn about John the Baptist. And in the gospel lesson today, we hear these words. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one, or should we look for another? Now, I don't want to challenge the the depth of your commitment uh, to Christ, but but I just want to ask the question, have you ever wondered... In your Christian faith, is this really all there is? 
I have. And I found out that it is rooted in my own discontent, not necessarily with God, but with myself. I want God to do a better job changing me. I want God to make me better than I am. I I don't want to live every day aware of my sin. I want God to transform me into the likeness of Jesus that I can see and that you can see and that we can all feel and I'm still a sinner. And so I'm disappointed with myself. John the Baptist had some expectations of the Messiah, and even though he had heard what Jesus was doing, apparently it wasn't working very well to live up to his expectations. And so even though he's Jesus' cousin, even though he's been proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sin of the world, he still asks the question, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' response, Jesus' response is to ask them to just simply share what they hear and see. He's not making a a greater argument for the Messiah. He's just revealing the truth of who he is, what he's been teaching, and what he's been doing. But I want us to remember something uh, deeper about John the Baptist and this coming question. Jesus says of John, even as the disciples of John are about to leave, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face, which will prepare the way before you. John is the messenger to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. He is called to reset their expectation, to to enable them to see, to recognize who the Messiah is. Listen again to these words of the prophet Isaiah as as he sets up this expectation for a messenger to come before Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths in the desert, a highway for our God. There is this incredible expectation, and I hope you're you're, uh, grabbing back a couple of weeks to the idea of anticipatory hope and expectation of things to change, because in fact we see that expectation in the words of John. But we don't always recognize them. Do you remember the preaching of John? I love it especially in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, we hear John say this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
This expected time of the Messiah is near, and what you need to do is repent. I've told you before of my pastor friends and and others who really think repentance is a bit overdone. But I want to suggest to you today a change in perspective. I want to suggest to you today that the words repent, that the invitation for you to repent is all about agape love. It's all about God's love for you. And just to be sure you hear that in the way the Gospel of Matthew intends, in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus begins his ministry, we hear these words from Matthew 4:17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same good news proclaimed by John is proclaimed by Jesus. He began to preach the good news, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, Pastor Jim, you've been talking about this whole repentant thing far too often, and quite frankly, we're still not with you. I hear you. I I hear you. I, I, I still think that in your heart and in your mind, you might think that repentance is feeling sorry. I, I, I think you think that repentance means you have to feel bad about what you've done or left undone. And what I want to suggest to you is a shift. And the reason I came to that in in such a strong way in, in this season is I heard a theologian challenge the definition of agape love. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, there's no way. Agape love understood to be the unconditional love of God for his people, in my mind is absolutely central to our understanding of the character of God and unassailable. And so I was ready to argue, and then he got me thinking. And I began to realize that the problem isn't with unconditional love as the definition of agape the problem is what happens in my heart and mind when I hear it and maybe at least one of you today might do the same thing you see when I hear that God loves me unconditionally Instead of looking at God, I look at myself. Now, don't challenge me, God, to make myself unlovable. Because if you tell me I can't, by golly, I'll prove you wrong. 
Or maybe it's just simply been the brokenness of my own journey. The loss of my father, the attempted suicide of my brother. The other, the older brother, who I had the utmost respect for as a little brother, deciding he wanted to be so badly with dad that he decided to beat me up until mom would say he could go to be with dad. In that formative time of early adolescence, I learned not to trust those who said they loved me. But thanks be to God, the church, the, the youth sponsors, those who hung out with me when I was all over the place, when I was breaking windows, when I was interrupting pastors and confirmation, all those people stuck with me in spite of me. Or maybe I should say regardless of me. Unconditional love is not about me. Unconditional love is not about you. Unconditional love is about who God is. God loves you. Don't look in the mirror and ask the question and wonder how could he. Look at the God who declares his love for you and who will continue to declare it over and over again, who declared it so clearly that he sent his son to live in this same world in which you and I live, to experience the same rejection and brokenness in this world, and who gave up his life for us. The focus is not on us. It's on the very character, the beauty and the wonder of the almighty God who sent his son to love us. And that love comes into our lives and finds its way in between the cracks, between the circumstances, and makes us right with God. And that's where the invitation and the hope of repentance comes from. It's in that agape love of God which is unconditional and sacrificial and wants the very best for us. I remember going to a Bible camp when I was around 13 and hearing probably for the first time in such great clarity, hellfire and brimstone. Uh, that pastor did his best to scare the hell out of me and everyone else. The idea was, you better accept Jesus because if you don't, you burn. I didn't see love, but I felt fear. And I went forward out of fear, don't necessarily regret that, 
But what I want to suggest to you is that the invitation to repentance is not given to scare us. It's given out of the loving intention of a sacrificial love that God is ready to pay so that nothing can keep you away. It's not so that you will be afraid of the punishment you'll get if you don't. It's so that you can see that the opportunity to receive forgiveness is really yours because it's given by a God who's rich in mercy, who is abundant in love, who is faithful to forgive and restore. I sometimes look in the mirror and wonder, really? But when the word of God, when the hands and embrace and words and service of God's people demonstrate his love for me, and I look up into the eyes of a God who said, Nothing can separate you from my love. Come and get it. Come and be set free. Come and experience the healing. Come and experience the knocking down of the barriers of anything that's in your life that will separate you from me. Repent and receive the good news. The kingdom of God is near. I, I loved the, the, the text in Isaiah today. It, it, it points in, in the desert of a, of a coming transformation, of a time when the abundance will be so great, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine. And I want to say to you that agape love is a faith thing. Agape love is the character of God which we can't fully perceive except by his Holy Spirit. It's something that we will wrestle with in our faith and God will continue to present it over and over again saying, you can repent no matter what you, you can be cleansed, you can be welcomed, you can enter into the embrace and transforming love that I have for you. And in that process, maybe, just maybe, we will love because he has first loved us. Maybe, just maybe, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of the uncertainty we have in ourselves, in the midst of our own low expectations for how much like Christ we can be, his love will work its way out of us. I think that's rain. Maybe in the midst of the drought and the desert and the plants and grass dying, he will rain down his love into our hearts. Let's try to use the illustration since you're so distracted by it. He will rain down in our hearts and cause to happen there what we can't even imagine. I think many of you have experienced that 
in your own lives. I have. Marilyn and I have been married for well over 30 years now. And it was probably, if I'm really honest, 25 years into that marriage before I believed she wouldn't leave me. That brokenness of adolescence, that, that loss of family love and care caused me to seriously question whether or not love could really last. And, and the demonstration of Marilyn's love for me in my life has been the clearest example of a God who is able to continue to love me knowing everything about who I am. I want to tell you it's not about you. It's about who this God is that we are enabled to worship. It is about this God who will embrace us wherever we are and set a promise ahead of us, a promise in which we can feel the warmth and power and comfort and goodness right now in this very day because my brokenness and my circumstances cannot do anything to get in the way of my God and yours who loves you and therefore will work for the very best for you. God is love and we are his. Thanks be to God.